Jesus came down with the twelve apostles and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are, who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you may be seated. So one of the things that really is hard about this text is that in, when Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich, it means literally the rich. And when he says, Woe to the, you who are full, he's talking about people with affluence. And when he says, Blessed are the poor, as much as we like Matthew's version in spirit, when Jesus says poor, he means poor in this text. Let me just start with this. I was probably about 10 years old when I saw abject poverty uh, in the flesh. And that was when I went to Mexico. But I remember looking out on the streets and seeing people living on the streets, going to the bathroom on the streets. And uh, that image was just burned into my brain. I can still literally remember seeing a guy go to the bathroom under a bridge. And I think I even asked the question, like, why? What, what is happening that causes this man to be in these circumstances? And later on, when I was about 16, 17 years old, we went back to Mexico and uh, we went to an orphanage there, and I held for the first time in my arms a young baby that was just so ecstatic to see me um, because I was an American. And so he was probably about two, three years old, but they knew that when Americans came, we brought stuff with us. And of course we did. We had a whole you know, van filled with things to give them. And you know, everybody always makes the same comment where they say they're so happy when they go to Mexico. They meet people in, in Mexico and they say, oh, they're so happy. I want to just think about that thought for a second and say, I think they are happy. And there is something to say about minimalistic lifestyle and, and being content with just the basic things. And I, I think you'll meet people like that when you go into Mexico. But I also want to say those kids were happy because we were, we were going to do something about their reality. Like, let's... Let's get that clear. We were going to change something for them. And in fact, I think they were happy because our interaction was just a reminder of their reality changing. They were on the streets, now they weren't. They were poor, now they've been brought in and they have a bed and food to eat. We were going to do something that would change their reality. They were looking for hands and feet on earth that would somehow represent the goodness and the graciousness of God in their life. They wanted their situation to change hands and feet who would do something about the reality, like change it. And, and that's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God changes our reality. Um, it's not just an idea or a thought or a prayer or a spiritual kingdom,
But it's a real thing that happens here on earth. If you're with me so far, say, I got it. Okay. The kingdom of God is not a Hail Mary. A Hail Mary in football is when you throw the ball. Now, I'm not a football player, but I'm going to try to describe it as accurately as I can. You throw the ball a distance that just seems impossible. So it's like a prayer, right? You throw up a prayer. And there's a very little chance that it's going to wind up incarnate, that it's going to wind up in the flesh in someone's hands. It's probably going to either be tossed out or, or worse, the other team's going to get it. And uh, your Hail Mary was absolutely pointless. One of the things that I want to just lean into for the next few minutes is this idea that the kingdom is not a Hail Mary. The kingdom is not an abstraction. The kingdom is not a spiritual other reality that only exists in heaven. The kingdom is here. On the earth, and it's in it's it's literally being embodied by you and I. We are the kingdom, and that should be good news for the poor. Amen. That should be good news for the poor. In the words of United Methodist Bishop Will Willimon, he says, "Jesus speaks a new world into being, challenging the status quo, pushing back on the facts of life, depicting a new reality." called God's kingdom. And in this new kingdom, Jesus can say this, blessed are the poor and woe to the rich. I think this is because the kingdom does something about poverty and it also pronounces a judgment on people who are willing to hold their resources at the cost of others, Um, kind of corner their resources when really God gives those gifts for the whole of creation, so that everybody can have this sense of justice and equality. But when you're willing to ignore justice and equality for your own benefit and your own security and your own well-being at the expense of other people, then the the judgment of Christ is still saying, woe to you who are rich, ignoring the poor. But for people who get the kingdom, they can look at the poor and have a desire to change their reality. And they don't want to just throw up a Hail Mary. They want to, it's not a Hail Mary, it's um, what's it called when you actually hand the ball off to a runner? handing the ball off. Yeah, it's a handoff. That's that's the kingdom. In fact, my sermon is just simply titled Hands and Feet. God is looking for hands and feet. He's looking for a hand out, a hand off. He doesn't want a Hail Mary. And I'm going to say this. I believe it. God is sick and tired of thoughts and prayers. So the big idea is that God wants us to physically embody our faith. And a good start for physically embodying your faith is to do something about poor people in the here and now. Can I get an amen? amen? This is more than just offering a pie in the sky when you die. This is offering bread and milk and meat and cheese and rice and beans and money and resources and health care to poor people in Youngstown, in Newcastle, in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, all across this country. Pie in the sky when you die, that's not kingdom. Kingdom is on earth as it is in heaven. John wrote it in his epistle, 1 John 3.17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but does nothing, how can the love of God be in that person? James goes a little step further and he says, what good is it if someone claims to have faith? Uh Uh-oh. But no deeds. Can such faith save him? I literally heard somebody preach this text and they said yes. And I was sitting there when that was said and I just, you know, you do one of these. He said, yes, I don't believe that at all. James is being rhetorical. Your deeds are absolutely tethered to your faith. And offering thoughts and prayers. James literally says in verse 16 of chapter 2, if one of you tells him, go in peace, stay warm and well fed, that's the equivalent to us saying thoughts and prayers. Go in peace, stay warm and well fed. You're in my thought, you're in my prayers. But you don't provide for their physical needs. James says, what good is that? And there's a, 
a little bit of a warning, like your faith may not be alive because you're not backing it up with deeds. So Shannon was supposed to make, I'm going somewhere with this, Shannon was supposed to make for the Common Grounds carnitas. And I love carnitas and I'm still holding on to hope that one day um, there will be carnitas, carnitas at our gathering. But this simply, it's a word that simply means little meats, you know? And I think that's what, God, this is so crude. I think that's what God is looking for. Carnitas, little meats, little people who embody, right? Incarnate. We, we put the spiritual things into physical activity and we embody this in small little ways throughout our week, throughout our day. And somehow, through your little carnita way, you begin to bring the kingdom into the world and it's tasty. And other people can taste and see that the Lord is good. So we need incarnation. He wants us to take the same action that he took. God took this action of being spirit and became flesh from spirit to embodiment, from really, we could say, abstract to concrete. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for the same canonic movement, the same incarnate movement, where we come from a spiritual realization to an in-the-flesh actualization, and lives are changed. Hands and feet. Eric told me that... um, And by the way, I just want to stop and say this. The community that we are, and I'm I'm going to change the language, we are a community that desires deeply to not just join a church or belong to a church, but to literally embody a way of life. And that's why we're here. And, And we have hearts connected in ways that are unique. This isn't about bolstering and representing an institution. This is about coming together, linking arms and saying, we're in this together and we're trying to pursue this way of life. That really the institutions have ignored. For a certain amount of time. And so Eric was telling me, and Eric is a part of our community, so I'm going to talk about him like he was here. Eric was telling me that uh, when he, he was visiting a church, or he was telling me about a certain church, that when you walked out the front door of the church, guys, there was a statue of Jesus there. But Jesus didn't have hands, and he didn't have feet. And so you see Christ like this, but it almost looks like Jesus had been destroyed or vandalized by someone because his hands were knocked off and he had no feet. But that statue was there to tell everybody who left the doors of that church, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. When you leave, you're reminded he has no hands and feet because that is who you are. So a good preacher is supposed to connect all the lectionary texts. Let me try to do that. Paul is insisting upon the importance of our faith as being both spiritual and physical. Think about this. What's Paul doing here? He's saying to the church in Corinth, what is wrong with you guys that you don't think that the resurrection is in the flesh? You don't think that God is going to do something that represents the kingdom and the physical reality that we exist within? He's basically chastising them and saying, of course the body matters. Of course the physicality of life matters. It's all going to wind up in a new creation a new heaven and a new earth. And he wants them to realize that the end of this is tactile, tangible, uh, even though we right now are temporarily vulnerable to the elements, right? Some of us more than others. If you throw me out in the woods, I'm not going to do well. Some of you would last a few months. I'm going to make it probably about 48 hours and then I'm out. But eventually, corruption, which is what we temporarily are, will put on, what's the word? Incorruption. 
the physical still matters. Paul was telling the church in Corinth, if you think that this is just a spiritual option for your life and not an incarnate reality, you're crazy. The physical matters. Here's why. The word became flesh. And when Jesus Christ put on flesh and stepped into this world, he sanctified the entire human experience. Sanctified it. Everything that we experience as human beings, it's now consecrated because of Christ. Somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ's body is still at work within our lives. We are his hands and feet. I want to read you a prayer. And I want you to hear this because I think this is beautiful. It's a prayer by St. Teresa. And she said this, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. You are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ must look out onto the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless his people. We are his hands and feet now. We're his body. He would later on say, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now you are the body of Christ. Now let's get a little bit radical. Let's get into some trouble. I'm going to give you something that will make Thanksgiving dinner a lot of fun. I want to offer that the evangelical, fundamentalist, and charismatic churches that we are familiar with have gotten really good at spiritualizing things. And they can take the kingdom of God, they can take all of the ideas that you find within Scripture and turn it into in spirit, right? Matthew's version of the Beatitudes. And I had a guy one time get up in my face when I presented that, that, that the Lord has a preferential option for the poor. He got up in my face and he said, I want to tell you something, buddy. It's in spirit. And I said, in Matthew's gospel. But Luke was faithful enough to give us the other half of the Beatitudes. You can't say woe to the rich in spirit. When Jesus was talking about the poor in Luke's gospel, he's talking about the poor. But Matthew kind of distills it down into a spiritual category. And Luke says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. No, how hard it is, right? We know Jesus said this, for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor. There is a preferential option for the poor. But we have spiritualized this. Spiritualizing everything is an escape from the material world. And that is not Christian. That's Gnosticism. That's Greek influence. This is why Paul contends so strongly that the end is not, the end is not immaterialism. The end is a new heaven and a new earth, new bodies, physical, it's coming in the flesh. This is Martin L. Smith. He said, Luke's version of the Beatitudes has a strong claim to be closer to the original than Matthew's. And Luke, the poor, whom Jesus congratulates, are the exploited and indigent. Matthew's version, however, has massaged poverty into a spiritual category. Blessed are the poor, quote, in spirit. This made it impossible for Matthew to present the other side of Jesus' pronouncement, Woe to you who are rich. Matthew could hardly spiritualize this. What would he say? Woe to you who are rich in spirit? That just wouldn't work. So Matthew dropped the woes. Therefore, we are indebted to Luke for preserving the other side of Jesus' Beatitudes. Matthew's in spirit has become the universal westernized escape hatch to any sort of real Christian living. Matthew's in spirit has become the escape hatch for any sort of incarnate Christianity. 
I actually believe that many people would pray that kingdom come, that will be done in spirit if they could, instead of on earth. When we reduce Christianity down to an otherworldly, immaterial escape that promises mansions in the next life, if you can only endure the inequities and injustices of the present, then Karl Marx was right. Religion is indeed an opiate of the people, if that's what we reduce it to. But Christ doesn't let, let us do this. Christ doesn't let us get out that easy. God's kingdom is at hand within us. It's already inaugurated. God is already making all things new, reconciling all things back into himself. It's not yet completed, but it's already begun. So I absolutely believe in the already, not yet. And Christ needs all hands on deck. Something horrible happens when we disconnect ourselves. I'm going to close it here. Something horrible happens when we disconnect ourselves from the present reality. When we deteriorate from an incarnate faith into an excarnate, uh, I'll fly away. You guys know that song? I grew up in, a, in, in uh, you know, Southern gospel music culture, and one of the songs that every Southern gospel group would come in and sing is, I'll fly away. And the lyrics are, some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized that's Gnosticism, <laughs> completely Gnostic. You don't see this idea. Um, and worse yet, when you have an I'll fly away mentality, you will let the world burn. Yeah. You'll let people remain poor. You won't care about the environment. You won't care about the, the poor in your community. You won't care about helping people. You're not going to care about any of that stuff because for many people, Jesus is simply a vehicle to heaven. And they're ready to get out of here. Um, so to, to tell you how this matters, I think you guys will like this story. And I've told it once before, so if you've heard it, just roll with me. When you think that you can just leave a scene and not have anything follow you, you're, you're going to be willing to trash it. right? This is what makes people litter. They're driving down the highway, and whatever that area is, it's part of their past, so they just throw their trash out the window. Because they have an I'll fly away Excarnate, not hands and feet, not like this is my home, I'm going to live here. They don't treat their home that way. They treat the highway that way because they see this as completely transitional. And a lot of Christians see the world as completely transitional. And so they litter it, both with bad ideas and bad actions. One time I was sitting at a stoplight. We were at Barnes & Nobles. I was by myself at Barnes & Nobles in Ohio. And I get in my blue Pontiac Grand Am I think I, what did I call it, Nick? Like the Blue Bomber or something? Yeah, the Blue Bomber. And I'm sitting at this stoplight. You guys know the light right there? It's like at the plaza there. I'm sitting at that light. Nice summer day. I got my window rolled down. I wasn't listening to music loud. It was cool. Everything was cool. And all of a sudden, some kids pull up in a car next to me. And there's, there's about three or four of them, and they're looking at me, and they're smiling. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, they're just being nice, right? So they're smiling at me, and I'm you know, they're actually to my left. So I'm like, hey, how you doing, Nina? Enjoying the day. And we just sit there for a minute. And then all of a sudden, their light, not mine, to turn left, their light turns green. And when their light turns green, these kids pull out a big open container of blue slushy. And they hurl that thing out their window into my window. And they peel out. And this blue slushy just goes all over so I'm sitting there at the light. They peel, they're already halfway down the road. They're already like almost between, you know, uh, Barnes and Nobles and Toys R Us. 
rest in peace. And they're on their way. And here I am just soaked in blue slushy. And you know what? All I could do is just sit there and go, good for them. They did it. <laughs> Why did they do that? Because they had an I'll fly away mentality. That what I do uh, in this place at this time has no real meaning. Um, yesterday I was with Monty and we were sitting at the food court at Chick-fil-A. And Monty, what did I do? Do you remember what happened? I spilled, I had a wonderful strawberry milkshake and my hand hit it and this thing just went all over the table. And so what would you do if that was you? You get up and you go get some napkins and you wanna clean this up. So I go grab a handful, I mean a nice stack of napkins and I start wiping it up, but it's horrible, it's not cleaning it up. And the janitor came over and here he comes with his, he must have seen it happen, and he comes with his bucket, and he comes with his mop, and he had rags and spray bottle. And I'm trying my best, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just sweeping it into my hands, it's not doing any good. And he's like, no, 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 he's real gentle, he's like, let me help you with that. And so we start talking, and I said, thank you so much for helping, I really appreciate this, I'm so sorry. And he looked at me and he said, do not apologize. And I was kind of confused why he said that, and then he goes, you cared. And he started telling me about all the people who would just leave a mess and not care at all. People who would spill pop on the floor, not tell anybody, not do anything, just walk away. Someone else's problem, why? They're not hands and feet. They're not boots on the ground. They don't live there, that's not their home, right? I'm getting out of here. This is someone else's problem. See, when you have an aisle fly away, an excarnate, not in the flesh, but, but I'm a spiritual uh, being with a spiritual destination. Instead of realizing God has always cared about the poor. God has always cared about the least of these. God has always cared about those who have no means to, to make ends meet. Those who are homeless. Those who have no food. God has always cared about the messes in society. But if you just have a Gnostic idea, a Gnostic imagination, you're not going to care about that stuff. If it's just about getting out of here and going to heaven, then you're not going to care. It's time that we realize that God wants hands and feet. Don't leave a mess. Do something about the realities of this world. I'm going to close by reading two people, Brian McLaren and N.T. Wright. Brian McLaren said this, If our theologies make us focus only on the eternal, getting my soul into heaven, so that we avoid God's concern for the historic and the global on earth, then the more, think about this, this hit me. He said, if we are only about getting out of here and we have no concern for the historic and the global on earth, then the more people we win, the worse the world will be. I hate to say it, but when I hear Christians say, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, I immediately have a trigger reaction and I want to say, yeah, and it's our fault. Because we have propagated this idea that God doesn't care about the created order. That couldn't be further from the truth, further from the gospel. Last quote, and then we're going to come to the table. N.T. Wright said about being a Christian, If all you need to know is that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again, then what was the purpose of all the other stuff? What was the ministry of Jesus about? 
The hope some Christians embrace is far too shrunken, simply a hope for a disembodied immortality with God after we die. Whereas the promises of God in the New Testament are for new heavens and a new earth. Hear this. The last scene in the Bible is not saved souls going up to heaven. It's the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, please may we go to your kingdom which is in heaven, but may your kingdom come down here to us on earth. The risen Christ declares at the end of Matthew's gospel that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. I want to finish with some questions for you. Question number one, what would it look like if we really believed that Jesus had all authority on earth? What would we do? Do we believe that he does have all authority on earth? And if we believe that, how does that work out? What will it look like if we want the rule and the agency and the government and the kingdom of God to actually impact, shape, and come upon the earth to look more like heaven? So my prayer is, may we never reduce Jesus just to a personal Lord. He is that. But let's just stay away from reducing him to only that. May we never reduce Jesus to a personal Lord. Never reduce him to a heavenly Uber driver. But instead, let's allow his authority to flow through us so that we may be his hands and feet on earth until it is good news for the poor. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown, where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.